This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 223. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and we are here to bring you your weekly dose of photography knowledge delivered straight in your earbuds. And to do that, we have Jeff Harmon, the host of the Photo Taco Podcast, and Brent Bergherm, the host of the Latitude Travel Photography Podcast. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Jim. Well, we have some interesting topics. We have the first topic is uh, really sad, super sad way to start the show talking about some ethical problems that have come up this last week. Um, next, we're going to talk about some geeky stuff with the Surface laptop and how that impacts for photographers. And then we're going to talk about scanning film and some pretty cool announcements of things happening around the improved photography universe in the next couple weeks. If you've been following photography news this week, you've undoubtedly noticed a barrage of, of ethics stories. This first one comes uh, from Imaging Resource, and it's about photographer Sal, Sal Kinkata. He is the owner of Shutterfest, a, phot- a photography conference in St. Louis, and they had a contest in the, at the conference, and it cost $25 to enter. And when the awards came out, it turns out he won his own contest. <laughs> that's, that's the one I want to enter. My own contest. I think I'm going to have a photo contest, Jim. Uh, he won his own contest. So uh, he had people pay $25 an image. Now, there was some confusion in the story if, this, if there were... Um, if there were prizes or not, because in the rules, imaging resource po- points out there are over two thousand dollars in prizes. But Sal says on Facebook that there weren't prizes, or he says I got prizes. That's news to me. So many know, so many people know so many things apparently. Uh, but the the rules did say that, um, and so not only did he win the grand prize, but he won several awards. Um, Let's see. I want to say it was seven, seven yeah, different awards like at the contest he won uh, of the 17 categories. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh boy. He won 11, uh, 11 awards in 17 categories and it was his own contest. So what do you guys think? So he's doubled down on this. He, I haven't seen an apology. He has doubled down on his position and defended himself. What do you think? Is there any defense to this? I don't think so. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> Pretty clear cut to Brent. <laughs> you, you shouldn't. If you're hosting a, a, a conference and you're hosting a competition associated with that conference. You don't enter your own photos in that conference and that in that competition. It, maybe there's nothing in the rules that says, you know, these people can't enter. And, you know, it delineates who cannot enter, but it's just one of those common sense type things to me. Yeah. I just, it, it's, it's so common that it's very common verbiage you see in a lot of other types of contests, not even just photo contests, but in general, it's, it's a, uh, friends and family of the people doing the contest are not eligible, that kind of a thing, just because you, it's so hard to make sure there's no impropriety going on. There's nothing going on that, uh, that slanted the judging, whatever it might've been. How can you make sure that it's all above board? It, it may be, but when you win your own contest, that has to be questioned. 
you you it's you can't separate the two. I also want to see the receipt for him paying for the entry fee to enter his own contest. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> well, you kinda, know, that, you know? <laughs> that's a good point because the the grand prize wasn't that you win all the money, uh, which maybe was his point when he's saying you know about the prizes. But the fact is, it did cost $25. And so since the money's going back to himself, he could enter far more images than what most people would want to. At 25 bucks an image, that's pretty steep if you're going to be entering, you know, at least 11 photos here. Uh, So there's a huge advantage right away. So while he said the judging was blind and he wasn't the judge, he had other judges that he hired. well, that's a pretty huge advantage that he can enter without uh, worrying so much about the cost. And also, did he pick the judges? Because right, if so, right. those judges' styles are probably similar to his own. Uh, you right. know, you wouldn't pick a judge whose whose photos you don't like. And that well, that's significant. He, Having judged a lot of photography contests in the past, it's the judges never agree. That never happens right. ever. Right. And what we what we we got some quotes on Petapixel from the or no sorry this is also imaging resource from the uh, judges and they said uh, total throughout the day we had we had it happen less than ten times that that one of the judges called for a rejudge out of three hundred images. So for us to be that close on a on blind judging was huge. Well, that tells me something because I've judged a lot of photography contests. I mean, a lot of them. Uh, if the judging is always super close and everybody agrees, the judges have a similar style. Because I've judged contests with very well-known, extremely capable photographers, and sometimes my jaw hit the floor on how <laughs> how dramatically we varied in what we thought sure. of the photos. Well, and if he's picking the judges, he can tailor his selection of his submissions to those judges very easily. And the, the other folks who are uh, entering, they don't have that luxury of being able to do that because he knows them super well. Most likely, he knows who these judges are. And so that's just another problem I'm on the website now. And it says, how many times can I enter? You can enter up to 25 entries. So, you know, there is a limit there on how many entries you can do, but $25 a pop, you know, that's still a lot of money. And I yeah, still want to see the receipt. 25 <laughs> bucks to get in a photography con- contest yeah. where you aren't going to be earning money. Sheesh. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, just it, it's just violent unless you're on that like there's what is that there's the cooking show beat you go into it knowing you're trying to beat the guy who's sponsoring the contest you're trying to have you seen that that show the i'm not show? up on my cooking knowledge Jeff. okay so there's there's a cooking <laughs> show on the food network like i know what you're talking about bobby flay i think yep something like that yep i've seen and that you know going in he is a professional chef it is his show and what you're trying to do is beat him Right, and they're submitting the food, the the food to the judges blind, but they of course know who he is. But I mean, to the credit of that show, he loses regularly. So there is that. But that's a different thing. You know, going in, you are running up against the guy who's created the contest. You didn't necessarily know that going into this. That you're that's right. Yeah, you created the contest. I, you know, in his defense, I do all kinds of idiotic things that, you know, sometimes <laughs> you do things and it seems like a good idea at the time. And then later you look back and it's like, holy cow, that was just dumb. But he's doubling down on this. Like yeah. it, it's 
just because the judging was blind doesn't erase all of these other points that we've made uh, that made the contest number one unfair and also these are your customers why are Mm -hmm. you trying to compete against your own customers the point of holding a photography conference is to support your customers to make them the star to give them opportunities to grow to have a contest where they can show off their work not to try to beat them in the race that's just completely defeats the purpose it's just completely lost vision of what the business should be there for uh it's nuts uh but but anyway my point is we all do stupid things but he needs to back down and admit this and apologize and move on i agree but that wasn't the only story that wasn't the only (laughs) ethics problem this week and the next one like really physically uh, actually i i thought about it for like three hours and i couldn't fall asleep that night uh because it just made me sick um this is photographer suvid data who's an award-winning photojournalist who did a a very in-depth project in india about child sex slaves and photographed a child sex slave being raped in the act and then that photo was used by magnum photos and lens culture on a facebook ad to advertise a photography conference uh, a photography contest excuse me a paid photography contest are we noticing a trend here um and obviously the photography community freaked out about this one because why in the world would you put that on facebook and two okay this is taking what we might claim as photojournalism though i'm going to have some questions on that that we can talk about later um and it's taking that and now you're making it advertise on facebook for a contest it was just sickening i i it just sickened me i really did lay in bed just well i i just couldn't even fathom uh, what uh, just the how callous this was. I know. I know. Photojournalism has a very, very important role to play. They can bring to light stories in a way that is super compelling, and uh, and I, I I hope that's the intention that he had in shooting this in the first place is trying to make a difference, call to action people that can do something about this terrible, terrible thing that's going on, but. To have it end up as an ad for a photo contest doesn't approach that at all. That is not helping to do that. That's the bigger problem I have with it is just those people who selected it as what they wanted to do. They, they, they knew they'd get the eyeballs. They knew they'd get to the attention. And that increases, you know, hopefully to them, that increases entries and all that. But there's a, a point where you've just gone too far. And I think this is one of those points. It's a dilemma I, I know photojournalists go through constantly about, well, should I take the photo or should I try to do something to punt prevent Punt the jerk it? in the face, man. Oh, right? <laughs> how do you not just punt him in the face? Yeah. How do you, oh. it, I'm sure it's a, it's a constant battle. Like I, I, I know I need to, to try to get this so that I can bring awareness, but how do you not, I, I would struggle. I'm, I don't know what the right answer is there, but it would be really hard for me to not try to do something about it. 
But still, like I said, it, that aside, because that's not really what the focus is, it's that it ended up on a photo contest is just unfathomable to me. I don't yeah, the use was just clearly wrong here. I mean, just, I mean, way crazy wrong. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that can happen if you've become desensitized to what it is that you're taking a picture of as a photojournalist. If you kind of lose the sensitivity of what that is, uh, you can see a mistake like this happening. This happens with lawyers all the time, uh, <laughs> where a, a client goes into a lawyer's office office and lawyers have heard everything nothing imaginable that's happened in your life could approach the horrible things that lawyers see all the time and so lawyers become extremely callous uh about the about how they talk about things especially in the criminal realm and so it's it's easy for when a, a lawyer's talking to somebody including a victim to to lose that uh and and i think the same thing happens to photojournalists so you know i i totally get the, the value of you know either i can punt this dude in the face or <laughs> i can take a picture of this and maybe make a change that saves right, thousands right. hundreds of thousands of children uh, so i mean I, I i get that i'm not the guy i would just punt him in the face i i don't think i would i would be able to do that but i i understand it uh, but here the use is crazy and i think it's because they've they've lost perspective but that wasn't all. <laughs> oh, then more. there was another one. After this photo uh, was used, then um, a user commented to Petapixel about this same photographer um, who photographed the child sex slave, who commented that that photographer had actually copied and pasted, like cut out a photo from Mary Ellen Mark uh, back in the 80s and cut out a person from that picture and pasted it in uh, in, a, in one of his own photos. And the photo was, again, of, of a brothel. And so it's uh, just co copied and pasted, not just from this one picture, but later it came out after he apologized in time. Um, he said that he'd actually copied from a number of other well-known photographers and copied and pasted people into his photos which were supposed to be photojournalism. You, you can't copy and paste people in photojournalism. Right. Um, so it, it really was just a dramatic unwinding of this uh, sous vide data's career um, as, as both of these stories came out at the same time. What's the point of this? Uh, I didn't want to start on a, on a negative note in the podcast, but I think it's really important for us as photographers to watch these stories because you're going to be placed in similar situations. And, you know, this happened with, with this photographer when he was between 22 and 24. I mean, he's a kid. He's barely out of college. Uh, just, you know, starting to win some contests and getting some big gigs as a, as a photojournalist. And so, it, you know, you just sometimes we all do stupid things. And so I think it's important to just bring out these stories so that we can really think as we're going about photography. It's easy, especially with the plagiarism and copyright question to make mistakes. And so I, I think it's important to focus on them when they do come up so that we can save ourselves. And now for something completely different. Nobody has anything to say because we're all just sad after those stories. Oh, it uh, is sad. <laughs> uh, but Jeff, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Surface Laptop. Yes, I would be negligent in my nerd duties if I didn't <laughs> go and speak about, about the latest thing that, uh, that's come out of Microsoft. So they, uh, they unveiled the brand new Surface Laptop in their uh, surface line. So we had the, so are these the laptops that you can like take the screen off and use it as an no, iPad or 
No? That's a different thing. Okay. Yep, that's the, there's the Surface Pro and the Surface. Those are kind of the tablet-y form factors. They have like a kickstand built onto the back of it. And there's a, the type cover is what they call it, the, that detaches as a, a magnetic connection to attach or detach, <laughs> detach from the, the machine. That's not what this is. That was the first kind of the product line. And they're on like the fourth generation of those devices. The, the Surface Book and the Surface Studio were both horribly overpriced in my in my mind. I thought they were they were that way, and they stick with that here with the Surface so, Lab. So these are just normal, regular laptops that they've announced. Windows ten running machines, yeah, just okay. normal. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the first one uh, is this thirteen inch. Okay, so that's what I use. I use a thirteen inch uh, MacBook Air. Um, and, right. and I like that. It's nice for her on an, on an airplane to have a 13 inch because you can actually flip up your screen. Yeah. <laughs> you always see the guy with the 17 inch that it's like, <laughs> he's just all well, cramped plus, in there, can't open his screen. Plus it's going to weigh like five pounds when it's 17 yeah, inch. That's too. true. It's going to be huge, huge, heavy to, to get in there. So yeah, I, I definitely prefer the 13, 13 inch form factor in a laptop. And then when you get home, you can connect it to a nice big screen and, and be able to get all that real estate. So I think so. the one that the photographers would be more interested in here is this one with the Core i7. Uh, costs sixteen hundred dollars. You know, two hundred fifty-six gig SSD. That's gonna be pretty small for photography. Small. I think five twelve. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be doing all right if you're, you know, storing your photos elsewhere, and this is just temporarily they're gonna be on your computer. Eight gigs of RAM. That seems a little light to me. Right. There is one that's that's 512 gig. So for 2199 is that Core i7, ah, okay. 512 gig SSD, 16 gig of RAM. That's fully spec'd out. That's the biggest they go. So now we're at 2200 bucks for that. $2,200. Yep. So you're, you're very, very firmly in the Apple pricing kind of model. Yeah, <laughs> totally. This are. Is, yeah. <laughs> With this one. Between it's, $999 and $2,200. Yeah, you can... You can get an Apple Apple laptop for that. Absolutely, there's there's no question. There's no performance video for this. The only option you have is the Intel Iris Plus Graphics 640, which is is okay. It's it's going to be fine, but uh, yeah, certainly if you want to do video editing, that's going to be it's going to struggle. I think it's probably fine. It's okay for Lightroom and Photoshop, um, but it's it's not ideal. I don't think from a for a photography perspective. A couple of other thoughts I had. First off, there's no Thunderbolt 3 in this, which I don't understand. 2017 was supposed to be the year of Thunderbolt 3. Oh, wait, okay, <laughs> that, so is, is Thunderbolt 3 USB-C? It can be. So Thunderbolt 3 the same physical port, which is, has that's the same why it's confusing. USB-C form factor, like the, the physical connector looks the same, but not every USB-C port is Thunderbolt 3. Ah, okay. So all Thunderbolt 3 is USB-C, but not all USB-C is Thunderbolt 3. Correct. Ah, but gotcha. This, this has neither one. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> it has, it has a, a single USB 3.0 port. Uh, so and, and then a display port, so you can do a display port connection to a monitor. And then their proprietary, let's see, they call it Surface Connect. Ah, it's, new connector? Yep. Yay. Oh, <laughs> man. So you, can connect, you can connect a dock that way. It's also how you charge it. Uh, it, so, it almost sounds like they hired an Apple engineer recently. Does, yeah. <laughs> so and the, I'm an Apple user. I love Apple stuff, but still. <laughs> Jeff, you are a longtime Windows user, and mm-hmm. you purchased a, a I think you're, the MacBook Pro, right? 
Yeah, um, 2015 MacBook Pro is a what year I ago. Um, uh-huh. So when you're looking at this, where it's really these are, they look like Apple specs, really. I, I mean, for the price and what you're actually getting in it, looks like something that Apple would release. Would which which one would you buy? So I, I'd have to get some hands on with this. The display's better than you get on Apple. It's more resolution. The battery life might be better, but I have yet to see a Windows laptop do as good on battery as Apple does. It just, yeah, they always cook the books on those numbers. They too. do, it's and, and not I realistic. am. It is the single biggest thing that I have enjoyed out of my MacBook Pro has been the battery life. It has been so much better than any Windows machine I've owned in the past that it's that alone had been worth my getting the the MacBook Pro. I wish yeah, it didn't cost for Lightroom. Lightroom chews through battery. Mm-hmm. It does it, all of it. Through I, it. I, I, and, and it deteriorated time. So you might, I, I had batteries that would work okay on a, on a PC and windows for, for a little bit, but they very quickly became not able to store as much of a charge or keep the charge over time. And the MacBook Pro is going super strong. I just, that's been awesome. So maybe they I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. These are brand new, so I can't say how the battery life is and maybe it would be okay. But the battery life would be one. Then the other thing that this would have an advantage over is that this does have a touchscreen. But that is cool. I would like a touchscreen. Using part about it is they didn't put a 360 hinge on this, so you can't like fold the keyboard all the way back oh, and you make can't it use it like a tablet. A tablet form factor. And I just don't. If you're going to have touch, that's a way you can distinguish yourself from Apple here. Yeah. Why didn't you put in a 360 hinge so that you can fold it back and make it like a tablet? That's that would be a killer feature if you're comparing this to the Apple product. We want to take a second and thank Skillshare, which has made this episode of the podcast possible. If you are a photographer looking to sharpen your photography skills or learn a new technique, then Skillshare is an online community with over 15,000 classes in photography, design, and more. Whether you're a professional photographer looking to give your work an extra ledge, edge or a freelancer who wants to attract more clients and build your brand or a hobbyist learning learning new skills, Skillshare is the perfect place to do so. Uh, I Skillshare gave me a, a, an account so I could check it out and they have some really cool classes on there for photographers. Uh, so you can check it out. You can go to Skillshare.com slash improve and, uh, and you can check out see all the classes they have one that i was just starting to watch is one on mobile photography mobile photography creating consistent look and feel uh, by joe greer Uh, looked pretty cool so if you want to check it out just go to skillshare.com slash improve and that'll give you a month of unlimited access for free just go to skillshare.com slash improve to redeem your first free month All right. Well, we uh, also want to talk a little bit about scanning film. And this is something that I have. So I'm curious to see what you have on this, Brent, because I have, in fact, physically next to me, I have a box of photos that I've kind of been putting off. I've digitized a lot of my old photos. My dad did a ton of all the family history kind of stuff. But just of, you know, my prints from years ago, I I still have a, a few... Uh, probably we'll call it 3,000 prints that I need to digitize. So what's the best way of doing it? Well, there's lots of ways of doing it. And um, I thank one of the listeners on the Facebook page or group, I should say, for kind of giving me this 
topic idea almost although it wasn't their intention to do so they just posed a question and i was like hey i've scanned film before so it has been quite a while since i've scanned regularly but we still have some stuff at work where um, i teach my students how to do this starting off with a flatbed scanner uh, if you're wanting to do uh, just prints. Uh, many of your flatbed scanners are going to do just fine these days. If you're wanting to do transparencies, or ne I would call transparencies also your negative films, uh, your Epson V800, that is uh, one of the leading uh, pieces of equipment for doing that. Hey, it is has this fast because when I've used flatbed scanners, they mm -hmm. just take an eternity. <laughs> if we're talking about doing 3,000 photos, you're going to be there yep. forever. This is something that you, you would set up some kind of process and you would sit down maybe for an hour while you watch a show oh. and you would come back to it. And maybe <laughs> after about three years, you'd be done. Uh. <laughs> so... There, there, there's a little bit of hope on, on some of these. If you have film, there's a holder that you can uh, put, place your film into, and then it will scan multiples at once because certainly this is a flatbed scanner. The, the reading area is slightly larger or just about letter size, so 8.5 by 11 roughly. And so depending on what size film you have, whether it's medium format, 35 millimeter, if it's mounted slides or negative strips, there's all these different film holders for you that you can use. And so the software will just recognize that and say, okay, we're going to be able to scan all these in one pass, but we're going to separate them all and, and put them into separate files. A flatbed scanner has a very shallow depth of field. So if your film is not extremely close to the glass itself, then your image is just simply going to be out of focus. So you need Why to... Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be close to the glass? Aren't you laying it on the glass? Well, like you might think, if you're going to use their holder, then you're probably in really good luck. You're, right. you're doing the oh, right thing. Oh, if you're using just, a different if holder, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, if, if you have an odd format of film or just whatever the case might be, for you might think, oh, I'll just toss it on there and do whatever my advice is to not just toss it on there and do whatever to, to use the holders that they're doing, that they're using. When we move on to film scanners, uh, one of the options, at least that I have experience with is from PlusTech, which if I were to do this, I would probably go the route of the film duplicator. And that is a lens attachment to where you can uh, just plug in a, a slide or a negative at a time. So you're still only doing one at a time, but you just, you slide it in there, you hit your button, you slide to the next one, you hit your button. It would be super fast, I think, to do uh, some copies that way. And then, you know, you're just limited by the resolution of your camera. Yeah, and that's what I've done as well. That's what I've started because my dad scanned in, like flatbed scanned in, thousands and thousands of photos, you know, from his parents, his grandparents, all our family history photos. And that's really cool to have. Um, but mm -hmm. it took him forever. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, it took him years. You know, he was yeah. retired and he worked on it every day uh, to scan all those in. And now that I'm, I'm bringing, getting my film, my uh, prints in, I'm just taking a picture of the picture. And if you set things up right to make sure it's nice and flat and get all the glare off the photo, get the lighting super, super even, uh, and you just take a picture of a picture with the DSLR, it's excellent and super high resolution. I mean, as high as resolution as we have in our cameras these days, 
yeah i, I think it's, it's really option. nice and it's kind of a good skill to have anyway um sure. i've had uh i had an artist uh, uh like a painter contact me uh, about a year and a half ago who wanted a uh who wanted a scan of her her art but it was huge you know you couldn't fit right. this thing on a flatbed scanner and so that's what you do you take a picture of it with a dslr and you, right. you have to set up your lighting uh i set it up on the ground so the lighting was coming at 90 degrees to the to the to the art surface anyway and just put the camera exactly over the top and clicked picture and boom uh it was done and it looked really great totally looks professional yeah, so awesome. what about what about outsourcing that whole thing I, I have had lots of listeners ask me the question about is there any service you can recommend i got a shoebox full of prints <laughs> or prints and negatives and i just want to send them somewhere and have them send me give me the digital files of it is there some service you guys have used I have not used a service myself because I just do my own when I need it. But I did find one. uh, Scan Cafe is one that I found. And they have a nice. Scan Cafe and Legacy Box, I think, are the two biggest. I have a nice counter. They have a nice counter, Scan Cafe does on their website 136,822,000 images scanned by hand. So they're busy. they give you a 10 megapixel resolution. Uh, so that's maybe a little bit on the small side. Yeah, that's pretty but, small. But they're talking about their value kit from 21 cents a scan. That's pretty reasonable. Uh, certainly, there's probably some bulk stuff going on there. But for, for 21 cents per, per piece of film, that's not too bad. I, I could see doing that. Huh. Well, uh, some good options there. I think it is important, though, to digitize those family photos uh, as soon Absolutely. as possible. Because one, yeah. you know, you only got one copy with film, right? Right. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing is, uh, you know, so they can be lost, they can be destroyed, whatever. And uh, yeah, by digitizing them, they're actually used. And, and I think family or photos, you know, family photos are really important to just, you know, remember those family memories and it kind of shapes what we think of our families by by those memories that mm-hmm. we see in photos. Yeah, digitizing them just makes them very accessible, which is nice. Yep. And one last uh, tidbit, if someone wants to go out and do their own research and they want to tackle this on their own, you're going to see uh, an item called the D-Max rating. And for instance, this Epson V800 has a 4.0. And that Plustech that I was talking about, that has, I think it is a 3.6. Basically, that just is like the dynamic range of your scanner. So we're used to dynamic range of our cameras and whatnot. It's just how how deep can the shadows go and how bright can the highlights go without holding all that detail. So the larger the number usually is what you're going for. Certainly there's other parameters that go into that, but that's what that's all about. Cool. Well, we have a few announcements for you. Number one, um, improvephotography.com slash retreat will be live this week. We're uh, putting the tickets up for the 2018 Improved Photography Retreat. If you missed our photography conference in March, it was an amazing, amazing week. Uh, I, I couldn't get over how how, uh, how much fun it was to be with everybody. Uh, everybody was just so positive and enjoyed being there. Uh, it was really something else. I was in the week before the retreat. I thought, man, this is so much work. I don't know if we can ever do this again. Um, <laughs> but it, it was awesome. By the end of it, I said, nope. 
this has to happen. Doesn't matter how little money it earns for the company, it has to happen. We are looking forward to the 2018 retreat. The location is Charleston, South Carolina. It's going to be March 22 to 24. And the ticket price is $459. Now, last year we had the ticket price for $100 cheaper. And so what I, and that kind of limited us in some things. I mean, it, it really put a bare bones budget on a lot of things. And there were a couple places where I wanted to spend a little bit more to do some cool things. And so this year we've raised the ticket price by $100, but my number one uh, requirement as we were working with my brother and sister-in-law, BJ and Rachel Hansen, are planning the retreat this year. And I told them the number one thing that I want to do is make sure the price goes down. Uh, it was already pretty reasonable, um, but I wanted to make sure the price goes down because that's that's kind of a core principle for me with Improved Photography. Uh, if you haven't noticed with Improved Photography Plus and all the courses we have on the Improved Photography store uh, the prices of improved photography stuff is usually half or a quarter uh, of what you're going to see on other uh, similar sites like f-stoppers they're selling their tutorials for three hundred dollars uh, for mm. a video video tutorial uh, and that's and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but it's just a core principle that i want to make everything accessible to give as many people the confidence that you can get from photography as possible so uh how are we doing that uh we f searched f for a venue uh, to find a venue where we could not have a hotel in the same building and the reason is the way that the hotels are making money is they'll usually charge a you know pretty reasonable amount for the conference center and then they charge a lot to all the attendees who stay in that hotel so like last year um the retreat with the ticket price was less expensive but it was 200 bucks a night to stay in a hotel ah i've never paid 200 dollars a night for a hotel i guess maybe once in vegas but it's way too much in my opinion and so we were looking for a place that we could not have to sell a block of rooms. And by doing that, you can find a hotel just around the corner from the venue, which is at Trident Technical College in South Carolina uh, for, you know, 70 bucks, 100 bucks, normal hotel prices. And you can get your breakfast for free there um, and free parking and Wi-Fi. Anyway, my, my goal with this is to find ways to make the trip overall uh, less expensive for all of the attendees and still be able to do a couple cool things that, that I wanted to pull off for this next year. Tickets are going to be on sale probably when you hear this, um, but if not, uh, soon next week. It's going to be on improvephotography.com slash retreat. Now, one note, uh, the price is the same for everyone except for alumni of the Improved Photography Retreat. If you went to the 2017 or if you are an Improved Photography Plus member, you're going to get 50 bucks off. And so if you're an alumnus, go to uh, the Facebook group for the 2017 Improved Photography Retreat. And if you're an IP Plus member, just sign into your account and you'll see your coupon codes right there. And that'll give you $50 off. Other than that, it's $459. There's no like early bird, late. It's all just the same. Everybody plays the same thing. There's no like VIP tickets. There are no like add-ons for you know special all everybody's the same <laughs> that's kind of what i wanted to accomplish with it i can't spoil the surprise but we have something <laughs> huge in the works uh, for this year's retreat uh the kind of thing that literally has kept me up at night uh thinking about it uh some pretty cool things so check it out improve photography retreat come on an adventure with us this is the the kind of week that you're going to remember the week you die uh it's pretty cool I just want to add to that that I was surprised 
at how much I enjoyed that conference. Maybe it had to do with the fact that I got a I got to focus 100% on photography for an entire week, <laughs> but but I really really loved it. It was just a fantastic experience, and I am still hearing from listeners who are saying, I just can't wait for the next retreat. I just can't wait. This, it was so, so good. So if, if you're on the fence, get off the fence. It is really a great conference. It's so much fun. Come, come spend a week with us and, and uh, have some fun. Yeah. And for those that weren't there uh, at this last year's retreat, I don't know how to describe it, but I, the biggest difference between what we're doing and the many, many other photography conferences that are out there is this is barely even something that you could categorize as a conference. Uh, it's about getting out and shooting. You're going to come home with a portfolio full of images. And there's some incredible locations in Charleston uh, to shoot. I mean, just knockout locations to shoot as well as we'll have lots of models and stuff you had mentioned you know it's almost not a conference kind of a thing and that's one of the things i think that jeff may have been alluding to as well is just having a lot of fun i've been to tons of conferences and this is uh the only conference i've been to where the participants the other you know, listeners in this case were just chumming around with them like uh, you get so much time to just talk with your your favorite people and and meet new favorite people, and it's just a nice uh, community to be a part of. And I definitely had a fantastic time as well. And that's that's kind of what it's about. That's what sets us apart from other conferences. One question you didn't, uh, one thing you didn't address. There's going to be how many a thousand tickets available, or how how many are we looking at here? No, it's only two hundred forty. Two hundred forty people. Okay. Uh, last year All we right. had one hundred fifty, and I would say last year there were a couple situations where there were too many people in one spot. Like we had too many photographers shooting one model at a at a time, and and that got uh, that you know we need to get those groups smaller, which we can easily yeah. do. Just get more models and more shooting situations. That's not a problem. Um, but there were sometimes where there weren't enough people um, to make, you know, a couple extra groups um, or uh, that, uh, you know, classes just kind of got small and it was like a little bit of a ghost town in a certain class because everybody went to a more popular one, etc. And so we, I, I think 240 people, is, we're going to be able to give the same exp- the same experience, maybe a little bit better, maybe even a little bit more just to kind of get people excited. Uh, it also helps with the finances, of course, uh, by selling more tickets, we can do more things um, because there are certain fixed costs involved. And, sure. uh, uh, but but I think for the shooting situations, I think we can do even a little bit better. We had a lot of uh, a lot of shooting situations that were great last year um, for this year, but I think a couple of them there were too many people shooting in one spot, so we're gonna work on that as well. Sweet. Cool stuff. Well, uh, Brent, you have new things coming up on Brent Rents Lenses. I see you're coming out with the 100 to 400, the Fuji 100 to 400 on your site. Yes. I just added that, I think yesterday, I put it on the, the website for available uh, for renting. If you um, want to rent a long lens for this solar eclipse that's happening, I'm going to include, if you do a week's rental, I'm going to include the solar filter. I still have yet to do the video that I promised everyone I would do, but I'll do a quick video on how to use that so you can be prepared to photograph that solar eclipse. You just have to do a week rental and have August 21 somewhere in that week and it'll show up in the box. 
Cool. And that's at BrentRentsLenses.com. Uh, well, also, we have, Brent, you have a meetup in Miami on June 7th, and also yeah. a workshop coming up in uh, Chicago at the Botanic Gardens. But I want to point you to a new resource we have yes, where you can find yes. all the information about that and everything that uh, Nick has and Connor and Sandy. And and uh, let's see, does anybody else have any? On? I don't think anybody else has any on there right now, but you'll be seeing more from Brian and the rest. Um, mm-hmm. All of the meetups and free meetups as well as paid workshops are going to be on a one page so you can know what everybody's doing and if anybody's coming to your city just go to improvephotography.com slash workshops and all the details on all the free meetups and paid workshops are all right there so you can go and then they have links to everybody's different websites with the details cool well let's go to the doodads of the week jeff what do you have for us all right, so uh, I did my photo taco on autofocus micro adjustment, and it's been, uh, I've had huge amounts of feedback on that. Lots oh, of people. Oh, yeah, it was a great episode. I listened to that. Lots of people got brave enough to finally go and check that out, and they're really excited about how much sharper their mm-hmm. focus has become That's because awesome. of doing it. So uh, if you haven't listened to that and you have that feature in your camera, go check it out. Photo taco. You can just search photo taco AF. MA for autofocus micro adjusts, kind of the industry term, generic term for it. And you can do it. But I mentioned in there, there's some software that I've, I used. I used three different approaches to do this, tested them all out. This software was one of them. It's called Focal software. It's from a company called Riken, and they're a British firm, a British company. And so they sell this software that helps you kind of automate this to some degree or another, depends very much on your camera. Um, they have two versions of the software available. One's a plus version that's priced at 40 British pounds, about $50 US. And uh, the pro version, which is 70 pounds or $90 US. And uh, the, the both of them, the pro and the plus, so the cheaper one, the less expensive one, uh, will do the automated focus adjust. The difference is some history stuff, like you can do some trending with the more expensive version. And it'll do some other cool features, like one of them that I really, really love, I've had a lot of fun with it, is is the aperture sharpness. So it will take and test the specific lens that you've got and tell you what aperture it is the sharpest at. That's cool. That's really cool stuff. Nice. And it'll do multi-point focus testing, uh, testing, doing some dust analysis and uh, other detail analysis. So it's cool. I I found the the more expensive version to be well worth the money. That's the one I bought and I'm really happy with it. But uh, go check that out if, if you're interested in that. Does that, does that software, I think it makes you, you have to register your camera serial number with it or something like that. Yeah. So by default, let's see, I think it's 15 camera bodies. Oh, they raised it. I think it's 15. If I remember, it might be, I I can't remember for sure now. So don't go around. And then you have to pay or what? Yeah. You have to buy additional licensing. Oh, I I looked into them when I started the company uh, because I was like, Hey, you know, I want to be able to offer this to my clients and then i saw it was limited to five but that was you know several years ago it might be five still i okay not i'm not worried about it i I have one so right (laughs) well yeah (laughs) but for those that test lenses that's kind of a pain yeah the the lenses with the problem is the camera bodies that they limit you and i was just like well you know i cycle through them i don't want to say really regularly but still five bodies and 15 lenses oh so there is a limit on the lenses this is this is my pet peeve with pricing when limits are placed artificially that costs nothing additional to the company 
Like it doesn't cost them anything additional to do it. So why not just let them use it? You know, <laughs> I, I, I was just consulted this week, uh, a certain photography company in the industry uh, was working on their pricing and they just sent me an email and said, Hey, what do you think photographers are going to think about this? And they, they just, they charged one rate for, for kind of the every photographer and then a different rate. If you have a photography business, if it's commercial and I, mm. th- this is what I told them. It's like, people expect this. This is common. It happens all the time that, uh, that there's a different rate for commercial, but like, why, like, why, you know, it's the only reason is because you think you can get more money out of a company and it's just, ah, don't do it. Just do something cool for your customers and, and, uh, don't artificially limit. Sorry, pet peeve. And rank. <laughs> well, it, photo licensing can go the same way yes. because if yep. you know, it depends on the value that you're bringing to the table by the company using your photo. So uh, you expect more out of it when they're getting more value out of it. So you know, in that sense, I understand these software companies doing this, but. As a user, I also understand your position, Jim, that they're very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I think the there is a slight difference um, in where where it's just software limited. Like you have to actually write software to make it stop at fifteen. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right. just just don't. You know, like you're actively making it worse for your customers. That's what I yeah. like. And, and it's not like you're uh, having a distribution issue either because you're still licensing it only to the one person or one business. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's a different issue as well. Where with your photos, you're, di- you're talking about distribution. Right. Well, and, and in your case, Brent, it, it actually wouldn't help anyway because it's very specific to both the body and the lens. So right. you can't go and say, oh, for this lens, you should set it to this value because it's going to be different right. on the next body. I, I was thinking as, again, as I was doing my research for the company, my, my thought was to say, if I did a wedding kit or something like that, I would oh, t- right, tag right. on there saying it is calibrated, ready gotcha. to go. But I decided not to go that route simply because of limitations. Well, thought tune method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say something about a portable hard drive case. Uh, I run my stuff on portable hard drives because I use computer here at the home office and I have a computer at the school office. And so all my personal stuff is on two different hard drives. And so I have a case that safely allows me to carry them to and fro. And it's just a great little way to have everything with me. Uh, and the benefit I have then is since I'm on the Mac, I have a time machine backup at both locations. So both items have built in backups. So if I happen to run it over with the car or something, I have two backups. So I'm not too nervous about carrying my hard drives around. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the improved photography podcast, and we will see you in another seven days.